Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome you to the show today. We're going to look at success stories. And um, we're, we're, I'm here in Kansas City, where we are at the home of the Google Gigabit. And it's been a very interesting conference that has brought together folks who have been doing broadband for a while, but also folks who are at the beginning trying to figure out what's the pathway that they need to take. And so it's a very interesting discussion that's happening here, both offline and then the the presentations themselves in which people are getting some good uh, overviews of what it is that Kansas City is doing right and things that they may have had to struggle with to, to get right. But but mainly it's you know it's all about learning it's all about people sharing uh, experiences and whatnot. Uh, there's been a lot to learn from from Kansas City and and its relationship with Google and the one of the big aspects of uh, I would call the Kansas City experience as we are learning it today is that um, the network itself is not what changes communities. So having the infrastructure and all of that whether it's 100 meg or whether it's 10 gig, is kind of irrelevant. The value that comes from all this is what you end up doing with the network. And um, I got this idea for like the theme of this show from one of the sessions that will be going on uh, later that will look at you know how are you using the network where they ask people, different communities, about their experiences and things they have done and so forth. And so it is understanding the what that people have done with it that makes this whole uh, conference worthwhile as we learn about uh, the successes of others. And success is in and of itself a uh, challenging concept to kind of bring across because people, I believe, have have concepts of what is success and a lot of times it's about well how much money did you make how much stockholder value did you generate and so forth and with community broadband networks it's often about the intangibles the quality of life the uh, ability to keep and retain your best businesses there are things that will have an economic impact or a dollar and cents impact uh, but but the th- the driver if you will is you know what are those things that bring value to the community that bring enough of it enough of that value to justify what may be an investment of ten million dollars or fifteen million dollars or obviously if you're a small town or a small uh, township the, these these investments are less but the bottom line is that you're you're spending a certain amount of dollars whether it's bond money tax money capital fund money or you're getting investments through public-private partnerships, there's there's definitely money going out to make these networks happen. So how do you measure that success? And before our guests uh, start coming by to, to tell their, their stories, um, I gave a presentation earlier today at the conference here where I defined success as, you know, how well did the community meet the goals that it set, and when setting those goals, what would be the goals that would justify the investment in the network? Now, I'm in the middle of doing some uh, research, and I'm talking to uh, communities that have had a broadband network for a while, and the universal 
uh, feedback that, that seems to be coming from these communities that I would consider successful is that their networks were built with one of four primary goals in mind. They were either being built to improve uh, the operations of city government and or the uh, public utility and in improving the communications and the business operations of those entities, they were able to often justify the investment in the network. And that puts them in a strong position where they can move from that to expand services out to other parts of their uh, their community. But when you ask these communities, you know, what was your measure of success? Why did you do this? Uh, often it is about those uh, factors involved with making the, the local government or the utility more effective. And when you ask them were they successful, they will then be able to point to very specific ways in which their government's been impacted, their government operations have been impacted, or the ways that the utility has been able to deliver better services and so forth, and point to and say, yes, this is why we did this. The other three areas uh, that, that are the categories of uh, goals for success um, there's economic development. So, you know, are we going to drive in uh, new businesses? Are we going to make our current businesses more effective? Um, and that's going to be uh, a major factor, I think, in determining the success or how successful these networks are. There's also the issue of how much does it transform the uh, education within the community, whether we're talking uh, K-12 or we're looking at uh, colleges, community colleges, or otherwise, and saying, okay, what's been the impact? Has the impact justified our investment in the network? The third area is, um, uh, I should say the fourth area is improving how healthcare is delivered in uh, those communities. And I think that um, this is the sleeper benefit in that uh, we've only begun to touch, to break the surface of what's possible in terms of benefits in that whole telehealth, uh, home health care uh, arena. But when we do, I think this is going to become, when, when people look back on it, this is going to become a major, if not maybe the most important benefit that they will get from the network long term. So now with that as, as putting us in context, Let's start to talk about the uh, the communities that are here, what's going on with them, how they're defining success, and you know, and where they where they plan to go after you know all the, this big get together here in um, uh, Kansas City. And my first guest in the drop by lineup for today is John Curtis, who is the mayor of Provo, Utah. Uh, mayor, welcome to the show, and thank you for stopping by. Oh, absolutely, Craig. It's uh, it's an honor to be part of your show today. So let's start with um, where is Provo today? Because I know that you guys have had some some challenges. Yes, we have. So if we start kind of with today and then work back a little bit, Provo today is at full implementation of a Google uh, fiber optic network. Uh, we offered to our residents free internet um, and went through a sign up period, and that has been concluded and uh, also offer to them, in conjunction with that, the opportunity to get the good speed. And at this point, every resident has had the opportunity to sign up for that, and Google's in the midst of installation. So a number of our residents are installed and using it, and a number of them are still waiting. Mm -hmm. So what is, what's next? I mean, I think that after 
you know, after you watch a city struggle with one of these networks for a while, people kind of wonder, you know, is there a is there a tomorrow uh, at the worst? Or they may say, well, now they've gotten it together, you know, what's going to happen next? So where do you see going from this? Because well, I think it clearly for us, the next phase that we're very excited about is what do we do now that we have two things. One is a gig, and the second is everybody in our city with connectivity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, not everybody is, is uh, interested in the gig. They just need connectivity. And then we have a fair amount of our city that's interested in the gig and, and wants to explore what do we do with it. Mm-hmm. So what do you think are going to be the uh, the big things that will determine the long-term success of this? If you were to look out, say, right. two years, what would represent success and how far along the path toward that success do you think you are today? So I would say we're going to be looking for two things, and they're both related to two different aspects of the network. The first is, have we effectively gone into our community and and taught people and provided opportunities for everybody who needs or wants access to the Internet to know how to access it? We now have it coming to their door, but do they know what to do with it? So that would be one measure for us. The second is uh, what have we done, um, as you mentioned, in healthcare and economic development, and with our education to take advantage of this gig speed. Mm-hmm. So now, um, do you think that you're in a strong position for this? Do you foresee right. additional challenges? We're in a very strong position, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we have an entrepreneurial community that's on fire mm-hmm. uh, right now, and they love this gig speed, and it's 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 excited them, and, and, and what was strong to begin with has become even stronger. Mm-hmm. And uh, all sorts of conversations everywhere you look about what are we going to do now with this gig, and, and they're loving that conversation. Second is we have uh, two very large uh, educational institutions, Brigham Young University and Utah Valley University, um, within um, just right either in the city or next to the city with 60,000 college students um, and a very strong public school system. We're fortunate in that our public school system shares the boundaries with Provo City. Mm-hmm. And so there's lots of dialogue about how do we, how do we use this our schools are very proactive. They had gig speed before we had Google, mm-hmm. and uh, they're on top of this and doing great things. Excellent. Do you think that there's any carryover from the rough times? I know I talked to a couple of <laughs> cities, you know, that that have, you know, yeah. they had their challenges and they they are moving forward. But what seems to be interesting is that <clears throat> once they've gotten past that. And they are starting to show uh, some forward momentum. People seem to be fairly forgiving about. I think that's the past. our experience. There's, okay. there's almost no dialogue about the past. Everything is about the future. Mm-hmm. And w- I'm fortunate because I came along after that decision was made, and 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 after all those hard times. So since I came, I've been able to focus on the dialogue and all the good things that we have. And people are very, very ready to let go of the bad and acknowledge that we can't change those decisions. Now let's take advantage of the position that we're in. Mm-hmm. And that's good. Now, by by coming in, what, what were some of the fresh perspectives that you brought to the... Well, the hardest thing was that we were stuck on uh, the burden of the debt, uh, uh, yes. taking out the bond in the city. And it was it was killing us. It was uh, uh, it was it was it was described by our local media as a millstone around our neck, mm. and that implies it's going to take you down, mm-hmm. and you're done, and you're toasted. 
So I think the perspective I brought to it was, wait a minute, the debt is no different per household than what you spend on a, on your recycling garbage can per week. Mm-hmm. And, and let's put this in perspective. And so we did, and we, we broke that debt up per household per month, put it on the utility bill. And people realized, wait a minute, this is not a millstone. It's not going to take us down. We don't like it. They're very clear about that. But we understand that it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's um, that's a good uh, you know position to be in. What parts of the constituency do you think are going to be your stronger uh, Subscribers initially will it be residential, will it be businesses? I know that Google just recently announced yes. a business service. That may not be part of the picture, but you know, you tell me where. where do you so think? we're very anxious for that business component. We we've felt for like a long time for a long time in Provo that that business component is is, is going to be electric in our community. So we're waiting for that, and in the meantime, this residential is is just fabulous and mm-hmm. bringing the internet to every home. And then for those who who are able to pay a little bit more to bring that gig speed, it, it it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. That's very uh, uh, that's very interesting. Now, in terms of you know those four categories, right? For you guys, which of those do you think might be? There was when we started, there was a, a small element of city services, mm-hmm. and, and that was legitimately part of what we were doing as we were building a fiber ring around our city for city services. So that was an element of it. But I think the biggest vision was educational um, and, um, and economic development. I don't think at the time we had our eye on healthcare. I think, as mm-hmm. you kind of alluded, that's come along of late, and, and we're getting excited about that. But I think our initial vision uh, centered around economic development and education. Mm-hmm. Economic development well, that would that would make sense. Does your um, does your community put uh, a pretty high premium on uh, on education? And what I mean by that is, if a, if someone says we put a high premium on this, that means that we we spend money, we spend resources, right. we do what we need to do to make that aspect of our city shine. Um, yeah, I'm going to say yes, but people would be quick to point out that in our public education, we spend less per pupil than any state in the nation. The state of Utah? The state of Utah. Wow. Now, you, part of that is that we have very large families. And okay. so it's, 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 it's our single bis- biggest state expenditure. We, we spend more than most states on, on education as part of our spending, but less per pupil because mm-hmm. we have such a high... So many people. So many. We also get well, probably more... Tax- the, you know, taxpayers. I mean, you basically, yeah. if you got... Well, I've got six kids. Okay. So you've got one property owner, one household, <laughs> that t- that property tax paying into the system for six kids. And so right. you can see how that's a real challenge. Right, right. Yet uh, the culture in, in Provo and in Utah is very, very dependent on good education. So as I mentioned, Brigham Young University and Utah Valley University, which is right on our borders, is the largest State College in, in Utah is right on our borders. Mm-hmm. Between those two, we're a city of 118,000 residents, and I've got close to 50,000 uh, college students in my town. Mm-hmm. Um, 50,000 college students. That's pretty impressive. It, yes, and they're great. They're great, bright minds, sharp kids, and mm-hmm. they just add so much to the vibrancy of our community. But it is. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a city that lives and breathes education mm-hmm. and, and loves education and, and the value of education. So do you typically have a fair amount of the student graduating classes that stay around, or do you expect there will be more of them 
staying so, around as a result of having... You know, when people say, well, tell us one of the direct results of fiber. Mm -hmm. i got to tell you, one of the huge results is students are excited about staying in Provo now. Really? Okay. And, and, and um, the, the paradigm for many years was, I can't wait to graduate and get out of here and go out of the world. <laughs> and the paradigm now is Provo is a cool, hip place, and I'm going to raise my family here. Mm -hmm. And I want to have my career here. And I'll... Among many things that have, have been improved, I would, that's one of the things I love the most, is when you hear from these bright, sharp kids, I want to make my home and my career in Provo, I get really excited. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have any kind of entrepreneurial programs that takes your student talent and maybe aspects of the technology and sort of blend those together into a, like a path toward entrepreneurialism or yes. a path toward, I don't know, a new digital workforce? Or so we have both formal and informal things going on in the city. Some of them at the university are quite formal programs that you plug into and they walk you through. And then we have this amazing startup uh, community that is a little less formal. Mm -hmm. And um, both of them are, are doing extremely well and productive in our city and are really important parts of this, um, this culture that we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. That's... that's um that says a lot for uh, the, the community because I know that it's hard sometimes uh, to to make that work because there isn't necessarily you know when you talk about economic development and you talk about businesses you know it's easier to say oh we started you know these number of companies yeah. we imported or enticed these number of companies to show up you know the education is sort of more nebulous but I sort of get a sense you know, both here talking to people and in general that um, folks are getting better at quantifying the value, maybe not in terms of strict dollars and cents, but they're able to say, you know, we're graduating more, we're graduating more at a higher level, we're getting more that actually go to college or finish college or something along those lines. And, and, and we have that, and for us, one of the things is the, the number of businesses that have started in Provo and have become wildly successful. We've got three businesses on one street. We do all small startups in Provo in the basement in somebody's garage, and that's what that's what Provo is becoming known for is it's the place to start a business and it's not grow a normal business, but grow exponentially. And one of our biggest problems is. We're running out of rooms for these wildly successful companies in our city, and so they'll still move out to other places. And uh, I, I view that actually as a good thing, that, that Provo is gaining a reputation as the place to start a business. Hmm. Okay. Um, who is your most famous, I don't know, startup or, or new company that's done well in, in Provo? You know, if you go back a number of, of years, um, and this is Quite a few years ago, the Novell were perfect. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah, that all came out of Provo, and that has spawned off zillions of little startup companies that are, have, have their roots back to that original company. Mm -hmm. uh, Omniture, which was purchased by Adobe, is a very large success story. Uh, um, Altrex, Vivint, uh, our number one is Mooskin. Um, and, and, and a lot of these are not are not household names, but they're companies that have grown from from the, the basement and billion dollar companies right there in Provo. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You know, I forgot about that, but that was when I was before in a previous life when I was doing high tech marketing. The ability to bring uh, you know all of this new PC technology right. out of Utah was was just phenomenal. 
I would suspect you would find hundreds of companies that would have a some type of a tie into um, that original Movelli perfect uh, business, um, and then have been influenced in a positive way by that experience. Mm-hmm. Do you find that the stream of entrepreneurs is mostly technology, or is it a diverse group of? So it's so high in technology that I find myself every once in a while reminding people that wait a minute. Just because you're not high tech, you can still be a viable company. <laughs> because we spend so much time talking about technology, and then you've got a manufacturing company. I actually came from manufacturing, so I feel kind of like compelled to remind everybody: wait a minute, mm-hmm. uh, there's still some really cool companies in our city. People working very hard. They may not be uh, on, on this this high tech um, um, trajectory, trajectory right. but they're still really important companies mm-hmm. that employ people and provide jobs that, that where some people don't fit into this high-tech industry. Right. One of my biggest fears for my kids and my grandkids is if they're not really tech-savvy, um, will there be places for them? Right. Will they have a them? home? Yeah, exactly. Will they have a technology home? Or a, 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 I should say a business home. Now, I've brought this topic up with other folks who've been on the show, which is if the driver or a driver is economic development and you're trying to create these streams of business, does this require that communities not just focus on putting in fast technology, that there has to be something more? And if there has to be something more, what does that look like? Well, I think my aha moment in this whole process was um, the number of people, and, and we kind of just alluded to this, that can be left behind by this economy. Uh-huh. And um, in many places, you have to get online to apply for a job. Right. And, and so if we're not teaching people and bringing people who this doesn't come naturally uh, and, and, or who don't have the resources to, to learn and understand this, and if we're leaving them behind, that's a, that's a tragedy that we've, right. we've got to be in tune with. And so I think as a, as a city, that's one of the things that's heavy on our minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a host of our residents that know right what to do with this. Mm-hmm. We don't have to teach them a thing. Mm-hmm. And they're early adopters and they're jumping on the bandwagon. And, but there's a, a very large uh, percentage of our city that if we're not careful, as we move forward with this, they turn around and they won't be there. Mm-hmm. Now, this brings to my mind a question that I've asked a number of times about uh, the Google involvement with uh, broadband and digital inclusion. And that is digital inclusion in general. It is not uh, it is is no one's profit center. I mean it is basically no matter who you talk to they look at it as you know it's something that you put money into and you try to like bridge this gap Right. But no one necessarily seems to, maybe either it's intentional or subconscious, but they don't seem to express things in terms of, you know, this is this is an investment. This is, you know, something uh, worthwhile. How do you, um, how do you keep digital inclusion programs going? When if there was ever going to, if there was ever a budget turned down, there was right. ever a political change. That those might be the first things on the chopping block. How, how do you insulate well, those? Well, you know, we found that, that they're not expensive. It's not an expensive piece of budget. It's focus, mm-hmm. it's attention. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And I think we're fortunate in Provo 
Um, one of our parts of our delegation at this conference is, is the chair of our United Way program. And, and United Way is integrated into our city in a very, very um, detailed way. And, and I think that's part of it. It's not trying to, it's having the infrastructure that that includes these people and not inventing the infrastructure after you get the high speed mm -hmm. And so I feel, I feel blessed that um, those that came before me and, and, and me and the culture of our city is that the United Way is as important as Provo City Government. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and United Way, in many respects, in our community, is that one that, that, that in many cases, uh, bridges all of those nonprofits and pulls them together. So I think for me, and as mayor of my city, it's staying in tune with the people who, who know how to do that. Mm -hmm. I know how to build roads. I know how to build sewers and parks. I'm not really good at digital inclusion, so mm -hmm. I must keep those people close to me. Who right, are. right, right, okay. And then that, that's one way to, to, to take it and run with it. Um, what do you consider or do you consider the role of a private partner or a private company in the broadband picture when it comes to digital inclusion? Yeah. You know, and sure. I, I ask this because I know that there's different cities take a different approach, right? Some will, as part of the negotiation, will request X right. number of dollars from the private partner. Others will want the private partners to instigate you know, some sort of equipment uh, distribution, right? So they kind of come up with different uh, avenues, but what's what's your thinking in this area? You know, um, if I were to, we're learning as we go, right? Okay, so if I were to enough. start over and do this again, I would have that early on in my forefront <laughs> of, well, this, you know, I got to make sure. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I would say in our case, I would really compliment uh, Google, who, who uh, is our provider, and that they've actually been ahead of us on this because they've seen it and we haven't. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Right. We didn't know um, this was coming to be a problem, and they right. did. And so I think they've actually been ahead of us in, in many cases. And as I mentioned, uh, jumping in with the United Way as a partner, and Google came in very strong and said, look, uh, where's United? You know, who are the people in your community that we should be working with? We're working with the United Way. We've got some amazing programs underway. Now, that doesn't mean that we're, we've got this figured out, because mm -hmm. as you well know, um, this is something you never check that box and say we're done. Right. But it's, it's always an ongoing. Yeah, I think we're on a good track. And, and I would compliment Google in, in our city's case as being a really good, um, actually, leader for us mm -hmm. because they could see what we couldn't. That's good. I mean, I, I, what that tells me is that, um, I, you know, it was mentioned earlier today here at the conference that uh, – there, there were some bumps along the road when, when Google first got here, right? Right. They were, oh, sure. They were trying to figure it out as, as well, and the digital inclusion piece was one that led to a little bit of un unhappiness with some folks. But from what you're telling me, it seems that Google has 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 learned from that, and so now they're in a better. I would say there's two things that are different. Mm -hmm. uh, one is that we were we were not the first Google city. And I think that made a big difference. The second thing is our, the way that we're set up, all the residents can sign up for uh, fiber for only $30, and the Kansas City model was $300. Mm -hmm. And so when, when the bar is $300, you are going to exclude people. Right. When the bar is 30 it's a totally different story. So my residents could sign up for 30 and then I had generous people come to me and offer to pay the $30 of anybody who couldn't afford $30. Okay. So our biggest thing was not that bar. Our biggest thing was knocking on their door and helping them understand 
you should sign up for this because this was a group who, who, who you could not who you could say this is free and mm-hmm. they would say if something's wrong I'm not, <laughs> not going to sign up. They, or, they look at you a little yeah, funny. Yeah, for instance, my parents are 88 years old. If somebody knocks on their doors and says, you know, would you like free internet? Oh, I don't need internet. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And so that was our biggest challenge. It was not the, the financial hurdle, but just the educational hurdle of this is important. And we went deep into the community and and, and knocked on the doors and, and, and tried to get that message out to every home to sign up for this. And it was very different than the mm-hmm. Kansas model. Oh, that's reason. good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see it's working out. I mean, I think in many respects, Almost everyone's project is going to be an experiment. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. There, there, you can't, there's no playbook here. Not, not at all. There are guidelines. There are benchmarks. There are anecdotes. Yes. But I think that in terms of you know those people who aren't comfortable because there isn't you know ready data and the data is in a certain format and there isn't so like best practices as Anderson Consulting. No, they're not here anymore. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you know, that, that hasn't been signed off on by right. big firms that everyone, you know, there's certain people who are leery of this. And I don't think that's the position that they want to be yeah, in. Yeah, and so, some of this, you just kind of go do it. Um, right. And, do, and, and look back and, and have no regrets. Mm-hmm. And so in our case, we knew we had a limited number of times that, that Google was going to close up that sign-up date. And I didn't want any regrets that we had knocked on every door in Provo and offered that to them and mm-hmm. tried to work with them to get that into their home. Well, and I think that's a good way to go. And I also think it's a good way to uh, to transition. I definitely appreciate you being here, Craig, uh, Mr. You. Mayor, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. It looks like a great greet and meet kind yeah, of. Let's get you out to Provo. You know, that would be good. <laughs> that would be very good. I've never been to Utah except for one time, and that was to get to. Uh, Eastern California. So most, that, most people I'm, I'm, feel that way. <laughs> Come as my personal guest. I'd love to, to show you the beautiful city that we have. No worries. Awesomeness. Thank you very Thanks, much Craig. again. Right. And you. good luck turning everything around. All right. You Thanks, know, Craig. That's, that's a big deal to, no, to pull a, this thing back up. Yeah, we're on the we're on the good side of this. Excellent. Thank you. Take care. Take care. So we're going to uh, move along now. One another story that's been interesting that has uh, a track record that people look at and. You know, some may throw stones, but a lot of people are throwing praise. Has been uh, the situation with Burlington, Vermont, and their uh, broadband efforts. And I think that um, you know, folks may be wondering, well, what's new in Burlington? Are they still a thing? And what's happening? So I, you know, we're going to find out because right now our next guest is uh, Brad Holt, who is uh, among other things dealing with a lot of community organizing. Uh, activity in um, in dealing with this network. Brad, welcome to the show, thanks, and Craig. thank you for stopping by. Of course, thanks for having me. No worries, no worries. So, so how? Number one, I should say, well, how have you found the the conference? Has this uh, worked out for you well? This is great. I think this is um, an amazing opportunity to get people. I think it's from thirty three different cities, uh, all in one place, mm-hmm. uh, with thirty three different gigabit cities. So uh, that alone is just an amazing accomplishment, and I, I think some. Some amazing work's gonna come up, gonna come out of this. Excellent, excellent. Let's start though with an with an overview of what you do relative to the uh, Burlington um, project, and then let's talk about where is Burlington because as with Provo, they've they've had some struggles and it took a while to get to where you are, but you're here now. So so what do you do and and where are you now? Where where is here for for, for Burlington? Sure. So uh, Burlington has a uh, 
up and running gigabit fiber optic network that runs to about 85 to 90 percent of the uh, of the city, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's up and running. We actually it was actually installed originally back in 2005. Started offering gigabit service in late 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're actually uh, been around been around for a while. And my main role, what I've been doing around the network, is, is mainly community organizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually uh, a beta tester uh, very early on in 2005, first beta testers. And uh, I have a background in, in computer networking, and I knew right away that having this fiber optic network, even though at the time it wasn't really providing much faster speeds than the competition, but the fact that it was a fiber optic network versus a, a copper or a network mm-hmm. just meant that, that it was much more future-proof and that it was an amazing resource for our for our community. Uh, so it took until <clears throat> offering gigabit service to really be able to explain that to people and say, this is this is something we have. You can't do this with, with other types of networks. And mm-hmm. that's why it's important that we have the fiber optic network. And then, of course, all the, all the great stuff we can we can do with that and the, the community and economic development work that we can that we can do around the network. Mm-hmm. So, so, so come again, where is the build out? How much of this have you um, how much of have you put into place now? So, uh, my understanding, what I, the number I've heard is about 85 to 90 percent of the city is, is covered. So mm-hmm. that's not that's not the uptake, but that's the number of addresses. Mm-hmm. 85 to 90 percent of the addresses that are serv- are serviceable. Okay. With cyber, there are some areas that are difficult to get to, mm-hmm. just because there are rock ledges, for example, and they're they're and really it's cold up there. And it's cold, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some areas that are fairly. Let's expensive. be clear about that. Yeah, it is. It is. In the summer and the fall, it's very beautiful. I'm and sure, you, it and is. If you like winter sports, there's a uh, there's lots of lots to do up there uh, all year all year long. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So now, in terms of you know, one of the questions I ask um, Mayor Curtis is that now that, you know, Provo has moved past its rocky road, you know, people seem to have forgotten and forgiven about all of the mayhem that went on before, and they're now focused on the future. Is that also the case in uh, Burlington? I think we're getting there. We're at a, we're at a turning point. There was uh, just a settlement uh, with the Citibank lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Uh, the settlement just went through. Uh, so that that's behind us. Uh, so... Hopefully, we can really get people focused on the positive aspects of the network and, okay. and what an amazing asset it is for our, for our community. And, um, and I'll say that the, um, the mayor's office has, has really embraced this gigabit network. And uh, we have, um, for example, we've actually formed, a, our city has formed a partnership with mm-hmm. U.S. Ignite called BTV Ignite. Ah, right, right, right. Okay, I think I read about that. And they actually just, just recently, a few, a few months ago, launched a, uh, a, a draft plan mm-hmm. uh, for uh, official plan for what we're going to do with this, and, and they opened it up for, for community comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's been a lot happening on the ground. I'm, I'm involved in a, I'm a Code for America Brigade captain with our local Code for America Brigade, so mm-hmm. we're doing a lot of work there around civic hacking and civic engagement around technology. Uh, we have a, a civic cloud project mm-hmm. up and running, which is close to a full rack of servers uh, on which to run uh, non-commercial Applications, whether they be gigabit applications or other community community benefit sorts of things, uh, which is a really really exciting project um, that's being spearheaded by an organization called CCTV Center for Media and Democracy, mm-hmm. which is a local uh, government access access station, uh, and a lot of volunteer effort has, has gone into that. And that's that's a resource that's up and, up and running at this point, connected directly into our into our gigabit network, mm-hmm. uh, also connected to the internet too, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. So some interesting possibilities there. Uh, we've got a makerspace that's opened up. 
uh, right downtown. Uh, the library is working on collaborating with other cities like Chattanooga and, and Kansas City on some projects. So there's definitely a lot of a lot of exciting stuff happening uh-huh. uh, in Burlington around uh, around our gigabit network. And I think we're 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 really working on putting the negative aspects of what's happened in the past and the financial and political problems behind us, and uh-huh. really focusing on 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 um, on really um, using this this resource to its full fullest capabilities. Uh-huh. So let's ask a question about future success. If you were to look at where you are now, you're shaking off all this all the negativity. In a year or two, what do you see as defi- as defining the success of this network? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest tangible thing that that, that I, I would look for is can we bring ubiquitous high speed um, capability to uh, as many people within Burlington as possible. Mm-hmm. Can we get Right now, right now, for example, the price point is one hundred fifty dollars a month for us. So it's a little, little bit for ex- gig for gigabit, okay. which is a little bit expensive. But um, there are plans to, uh, from an infrastructure point of view, to drive those costs down and bring mm-hmm. that bring that down to um, to similar to like Kansas City or Chattanooga or what those those prices are, uh, which I think would be great because that would get gigabit to more more people. Uh, so I think anything we can do to to just make it more ubiquitous and get it into the hands of more people, I think would be would be a, a huge accomplishment for mm-hmm. a very. Uh, uh, tactical perspective. Are you seeing any kind of uptake in either uh, general businesses or possibly uh, certain specialized businesses such as healthcare and so forth that are taking a closer look at Burlington now? Uh, so I'm not really as involved much in the economic development end of things, so okay. I, I wouldn't be the best person to, to ask that question of. Um, I would imagine uh, that having obviously having this world-class network is a huge positive thing for our city. So mm-hmm. I don't, but I don't know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Really, so. What is it that is driving, or maybe let's let's answer the question this way: If you were doing peer counseling, consulting, um, what would what kind of tips would you give people to drive and convert convert folks from yes, I'm interested to yes, now I'm a subscriber. Mm-hmm. So. I think the thing is that um, it's. I think it's. Uh, it's an interesting question because um, there's. Uh, my, my interest is in how do we get these for like. Uh, my, I'm mainly focused on gigabit app development, kind of mm-hmm. where I'm from. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's exciting to have. You know, how do we get these these pool of resources, a pool of people? Um, I think this is the biggest thing is going to come down to cost. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really going to be. You know, can they can they afford it? And I, I think that. Things that ISPs can do, like um, simplifying their pricing structure, for example, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Google's done a good job with that, where there's basically like one or two products. Okay, let me interrupt you here for one second. I think we have a call. Uh, hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Do we have a caller on the line? Hello. Hello. Yes. Are oh, you here? Um, I was Next. calling him to um, ask um, how do magnets work. How do magnets work? I yeah. think you might have the wrong show because we're not talking about magnets here, but thank you for asking. Wait, wait, wait. Good afternoon. This is Gigabit Nation. Do you have a caller on the line? Uh, hey, uh, I I was just kind of curious. There's, there's like some feedback or something. I, there's feedback on the show? Or there's like some static noise. Okay, is it better now? Yeah. 
Okay, great. Uh, well, now that you're here, do you have a question well, for our guest? Yeah, I was I was just curious uh, about the, the the thing. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Uh, okay, Is it Dan? No, I Dan? don't understand the question. Uh, well, I, I, uh, uh, I'm Dan. Maybe you want are, to are call you back at another time. We can talk some more. All right. So let's talk about um, before we wrap up. What kinds of apps do you see that are going to be like the real popular? What's going to really draw people into you know using the web? I, mean, I think the, the biggest biggest thing that we're seeing with Gigabyte right now is uh, where you have a household where you can have a lot of people online at the same time mm-hmm. using multiple devices. That's kind of the killer app for Gigabyte right now. Okay. But I think looking looking beyond that, I think it's really tough to predict the the, the next Gigabyte app. But um, uh, Blair Levin, uh, who was actually here at the event, had a really uh, good explanation of this that I was that I was reading about a while ago, and he explained how with um, when, with manufacturing uh, before electricity. Uh, factories were oriented vertically, mm-hmm. and then with the event, with the eventual electricity, allowed factories to be or- oriented horizontally, and that ultimately led to the to the invention and discovery of assembly lines. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be something indirect. It's going to be when we have gigabit being ubiquitous and we have it have it uh, accessible to everybody. There's going to be something that's not not immediately obvious as the next big thing, but they'll they'll have a major impact on how we how we live and how we work. Okay. Um, so I think it's a really difficult thing to predict. I think the biggest thing we can do is just try to get gigabit to as many people as possible, make it as ubiquitous as possible, and then I think they'll just knock us over the head at some point and we'll say, oh, that's it. That's the, that's and it'll the be the aha moment exactly. that no one anticipated. Exactly. No, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be completely <laughs> obvious in retrospect, but... but Impossible to predict ahead of time. Interesting. Well, this has been very, uh, very informative. I am very pleased, obviously, as a broadband advocate, that uh, you know the Burlington is indeed, you know, has turned the corner, is moving this thing forward. So I wish you guys all luck in the world. Keep up the good fight, and um, we'll get you guys, you know, back on the air again because I want to talk about Burlington uh in more detail you know mostly from well not mostly i would say you know from a large perspective of how do you deal with obstacles because i think that you know i had a bunch of folks in my uh, session earlier today and you know they're looking and they're they're at the beginning part of this and you know you're trying to prep them and get them ready but then what about the obstacles and the challenges and the unforeseen Mm -hmm. stuff and how do you weather those kinds of storms and i think that you know you have a very positive story to be told about weathering storms. So, you know, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll get you back on the air soon. Okay. Thank you very much. All righty. Take care and have a good you day. Right. So that's very, um, I, you know, i got to say that being the broadband advocate that I am, you know, I've heard folks talk about, you know, why we shouldn't do broadband and owe this and owe that and so forth. But I think that when you really get into... Uh, the trenches with these communities that have, you know, as I said, weathered the storm and have made these networks successful, there is a lot, there is an awful lot to be said for what it is they're doing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just such a big fan, I can't stand it some days, and probably people will get tired of me 
pontificating, but so it is. And speaking of folks who, who weathered a different kind of storm, my next guest is uh, Michael uh, Klein, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Did I put you your first name? Michael. Okay, great. I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're flying here a little bit by the seat of our pants, but um, let's talk about Chanute, because you're here, uh, you're, you're a consultant with Chanute. You have been through the legislative storm, right? You guys had to fend off um, uh, this attempt to create this really bad set of restrictions on the network. One of the um, arguments that's always made when these battles come up is that these networks are never successful. But Chanute has been at this for a while. So, so tell us about the successes, the storms, not so much the storms that you guys have weathered, but the, the, the success. What is Chanute doing that, you know, you would consider, you know, major successes for a community broadband network? So Chanute started uh, its first network as an early adopter in 1984. It installed uh, fiber optics to connect substations and uh, power plants to support its municipal electric utility. In 2005, Chanute became an internet service provider mm-hmm. for the school district and the local community college. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were the first entities that were connected to the city's fiber network that were not utility related. Mm-hmm. Uh, those entities now uh, have gigabit connectivity. Mm-hmm. The uh, local community college uh, last year was the fastest growing community college in the state of Kansas, fifth fastest growing community college in the nation. Wow. And they attribute that to the uh, the success and speed of the Chanute Network. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty amazing. So you guys have been at this for then, what does that make that, uh, 10 years? Ten years, give or take. Yeah. So you have seen a lot and done a lot. It's hard to say that community broadband is not successful when you've got communities like yours and uh, Thomasville, Georgia, that have been doing this stuff for ten years or more. Yes, Unit's been very successful. Uh, we provide gigabit connectivity to the local library, and uh, it, it is hugely popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are folks in the, the community that will come and sit. Outside the parking lot, or out in the parking lot, even when the library is closed, because they have uh, Wi-Fi connectivity, mm-hmm. uh, every computer workstation in the library is full during every business hour. Simply because the connectivity through the library is so much better mm-hmm. than what they can get at home. Okay, I think we have a caller. We had a couple of problems with the call-in feature today. I think there's a electronics issue, but let's see if we can pull in this person here. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Is this Alex on the line? Hello? Uh, hello? Yes, are you looking for Gigabit Nation? Yes. Yes, great. So, you have a question, you have a comment? I, can I have a, uh, I want to share a story. I'm sorry? I want to share a story with the people that I think is relevant to their conversation. Sure, what what have you got going on? Where are you, by the way? What city are you in? I'm um, in Colorado. Okay. Excellent. I've seen you on the show uh, yeah, a few times before as a guest. So what's your story? What you got going on? Um, I was um, involved in what they're... I was like um, 
a network administrator and what they're in a similar situation to what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. I wanted to provide my insight. So what do you find to be, I don't know, the best lesson that you've learned about making these networks successful? That you need to make it durable to all kinds of traffic. Mm-hmm. So it can't get overloaded as easily. I can see that would be. Uh, by the way, uh, Chinook's network is actually peered with two tier one service providers, both level three communications and Cox communications. Mm-hmm. So uh, its network has a divergent core, so that we have physically separated our core infrastructure into multiple locations just to provide that level of redundancy and resiliency for network outages. So has your network been successful, you know, in your opinion, is it a, you know, wildly successful network? Uh, you guys are, are still waiting to catch your stride. Where do you see yourself in the, Alex, where do you see you guys in the, you know, overall broadband picture of, of you know, um, new stories? I see myself ruling the world, like Google. <laughs> okay, would fair you enough. Like, would you like to know the name of my network, what I run? Um, what city? Yes, I, I was curious what city you're in. I'm in uh, Colorado. Okay. Um, what well, uh, the company I work for is um, Lay Nine Gag. They're a okay. big um, a forum online, and they talk about women's rights issues. Okay. That makes uh, that must make for an interesting time. Here, what we're going to do? I'm going to I'm going to pull out right now. I'm going to I want to continue the conversation with uh, Michael because he's only here for for a few minutes before our next guest comes on. But thank you very much for calling. I appreciate your input. Makers. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about um, what would you consider the source of your success these 10 years? How have you been able to go this distance and make it all work? Uh, Chanute's brought uh, quite a bit of stability to the Internet and uh, at the Internet in Chanute, what's available. And probably the greatest thing that it's brought is a level of reliability. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that, that we first discovered uh, when people were interested in getting connected to the city's network is that they were were extremely frustrated with the service quality and reliability of their networks. Mm-hmm. The first commercial customer connected to Chanute's network had suffered nearly a week-long outage wow. from their previous Internet service provider, mm-hmm. and they literally came begging to the Chanute City Commission for relief and to become connected to the network. So, mm-hmm. so beyond price or, or anything, probably reliability is... Uh, the greatest asset that Chanute's brought to the table and, and stability to uh, the market. Mm-hmm. So you and I talked about this briefly, and I've talked to some other folks. I expect that there will be a um, another attempt at legislation to uh, make it difficult, if not impossible, to do broadband. And the charge will be made once again. There will be two of them. There will be the these networks are always failures. And despite the fact that these networks are always failures, they are unfair competition. Right. How are you and the folks of Chanute going to respond to that, you know, well, briefly? Before Chanute got started, 
building its network, it approached both of the incumbent providers and asked them to bring this technology into the community. Mm -hmm. The City Fathers had the vision that bringing gigabit technologies into the community was part of an economic revitalization plan for the community, and we were unable to convince both the incumbent providers to come in and deliver services either over their own infrastructure or if the city were to build the infrastructure and allow them to operate and provide their services over the municipal infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those incumbents were not, not interested in doing it. So the city of Chinook kind of left to its own devices and said, if they won't do it, then the community feels it's necessary to, to pursue this development on its own. Mm -hmm. So that's why we've uh, done this. And we would, would offer that right hand, if you will, back to them and say, if you want to come in today, you'll still offer, we'll, we'll seat still the offer that seat to the table. But okay. We, uh, we currently partner with uh, Cox Communications. Uh, so, so we obviously play well with others. Uh, we provide bulk wholesale bandwidth to a regional wireless provider. So I don't think that the incumbents can uh, make the claim that uh, Chanute's unwilling to work and cooperate with private enterprise to deliver the best technologies possible for the community. Mm -hmm. So how would you respond to the issue of um, unfair competition? Because we all have heard it, right? And some have successfully batted that one down. Well, one of, one of the myths that we keep hearing is that it's taxpayer-funded, and in Chanute's case, that simply is not the case. Okay. The Chanute's network is, is fully paid for by those that purchase services over the network, and we have not used any taxpayer dollars mm -hmm. to secure or build the network. Okay. Uh, in fact, it may be unfair, because Chanute takes a long view right. of this investment in the community. Chanute's willing to extend its investment out 15 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. Perhaps that is unfair because the incumbents want to recover their full investment over two or three. Right. Uh, so because we have that advantage, uh, Chanute also has all of its municipal utilities, so it has the, the ability to uh, do a low-cost deployment. Okay. So um, and we'll wrap this up uh in terms of the financial success of the network, right, because just about everyone who is approaching these networks for the first time, that is a fear. Either it is a primary concern or it is just beneath the surface concern. Again, you guys have been doing this for 10 years. Um, are the fears about the financial risk founded? Is this... I mean, I know that, well, okay, let me just let you answer the question. And well, well, clearly it's not for the faint of heart, <laughs> but but Chanute's network is paying for itself. Mm -hmm. uh, it does bring tremendous value and opportunity into the community. Okay. And we've talked about the library and the local community college and, and the schools having full gigabit connectivity. So those sorts of values, it's very difficult to put a price tag on. But we do continue to... to pay all of our bills. We fully expect that the uh, the business cases we deploy to a full fiber to the premise will take a long term and our business cases all show that it will pay for itself. So, mm -hmm. 
So we don't have much concern that uh, that we won't meet our financial objectives, but that's not the real value in the network. It's right. the other benefits to the community that, right. that we don't put in that bottom line that really bring the value of providing the service. Okay, and I would conclude with every community needs to have a realistic assessment of the financial considerations, but that they should look at the um, at the experiences and the successes and the challenges that others have faced and take a fair amount of comfort and knowledge from those other experiences rather than to say, okay, this is this is just too risky and we don't want to have anything to do with it. I think there is a measured approach to kind of addressing the financial issues again. And and I don't think you're alone. Uh, you know, I've talked to a bunch of other communities that, you know, their payback period is, you know, anywhere from eight to twenty years and they're totally comfortable with that because they see where they are making the money to cover operating costs and to retire the debt and they feel like they will continue to do so for the duration of, you know, the 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 process. Exactly. Excellent. Well, Michael, thank you very, very much for coming by. I really, thank really you. appreciate it. Take care and have a great day. Thanks for having me. Sure, not a problem. So uh, next on our hip parade, we're going to talk about um, Salisbury, North Carolina. They, like Chanute, have been at this business for a while. I don't think it's been 10 years, no. but, but they've, they've been doing this for a while. Uh, what's interesting and what actually brought Salisbury to my continued attention uh, was about five months or so ago I had the mayor and the mayor pro tem on the show because they had come to a uh, conclusion or realization that the marketing aspect of running the network should probably be ratcheted up a little bit so that they could start expanding and uh, realizing greater uh, value for the network. So I decided, well, let me get some folks in here today because the uh, there is a delegation here at the summit uh, from Salisbury, uh, one of the folks from the council, and a couple of other folks. I said, well, we'll just get them on the show. So uh, Kent uh, Winrich, who is... Um, uh, with Salisbury is here, and uh, we'll we'll have some some key words to talk about here, and we will probably have a couple of others from the delegation as well chime in as we go. But uh, Kent, first of all, thank you for stopping by and, and being on the show. Thank you for inviting us. Not a problem. I I could not see a reason not to have you guys on. You guys are rocking and rolling. So let's talk about. Um, what has been the primary success of the of Fibrant, which is the Salisbury Network, mm-hmm. to this point? And then, what's this next level of success that you feel that you can take this to, especially by uh, unleashing all the great and grand powers of marketing into the into the equation? Well, Salisbury's network has been running about about three and a half years or so, mm-hmm. and it took a little while to get you know, the system. Fine-tuned to where we were satisfied with it. Okay. Right now, we're really very satisfied with where we're at. Um, we're very stable, and that's where we need to be. Mm-hmm. So now we're ready to take it to the next level. And the next level is is well, it's nice that we built it, mm-hmm. but unless somebody knows about it, you know, it isn't one of these build it they will come. Right. It's build it, you have to tell them about it, and then they will come. Right. So 
So we're in the let's tell them about it uh, uh, phase in this whole thing right now. Right. And so we're going to be uh, getting out there marketing ourselves a lot more. Uh, we're, uh, we've got a, a good uh, – some of the marketing areas that we're going over, you know, doing the Twitter aspect, the Facebook, and, and, and working with economic development mm-hmm. to get our story out there. Mm-hmm. And, and we hope to make some, some good news in the next couple of months about – some of the things we're working on and partnerships we're creating. And it is going to be a lot about partnerships. Mm-hmm. You know, we're a partnership from a technology aspect, who we partner with from an educational aspect, and who we partner with in the city. Mm-hmm. So we're going to build a lot of these partnerships as well. Okay. So you would then classify the core of the marketing strategy is going to be partnerships with a heavy dose of uh, tactical social network activity yes. to to increase uh, the presence. Now, you've you've come to a point. Where would, what would you consider the greatest success of the first? Call the first chapter of the story, right? You, you built the network. Right. Um, obviously, you have customers, so it's not like no one showed up. The people right. have indeed, you know, used the network. I was down there. I met with folks both in the council and the general public when I was in Salisbury, and it was, you know, a lot of people were excited about this. But if you were to point at one thing, was there like a, a milestone that you reached that was like the pinnacle for you, or some acknowledgement, or what, what was a biggie? Um, I think the, the big thing that really comes to my mind, first of all, is that we're one of the few communities that actually reaches the whole community. Mm-hmm. So we're, we can offer fiber, gig fiber, video, uh, voice services to every single resident within the city, uh, the city uh, limits, and also every business. We focused a lot on taking care of the residents in the early part, which is what it should be. Mm-hmm. Now we're looking at more of the business aspect of it and insisting our businesses and then working on economic development. Mm-hmm. So if we work on economic development, that will help us get back into the education area and we can develop education. So it's just kind of a cycle that keeps rolling rolling forward. Mm-hmm. So now if you were to look ahead, say maybe two or three years, what would you see or what would you hope to be the primary success that you then – reach at the next level? Next level will, will be a combination of new businesses coming into the community, mm-hmm. uh, closer partnerships with the universities in the area, and developing, uh, I would I would like, and, and to get more of a um, an incubator situation going mm-hmm. in Salisbury as well. Okay. Um, and, and it's going to involve a lot of commitment from, from the universities, which have really done very well with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the business community as well, as well as, well as working with economic development. Mm-hmm. So you, you you definitely have a, a a line of vision toward where it definitely. is that uh, that you guys are going. One of the things that I have advocated, though it doesn't necessarily get a lot of uh, publicity per se, is that in certain places you will notice a certain level of pride by the community and its network. And that pride becomes a driver in the marketing of the network Mm -hmm. because even if the person isn't a subscriber, they're always saying good things about the fact that their city has this network. Right. Do you feel that that um, exists in some form, in great extent, in in Salisbury. That's a, that's or is that let, yet, is that then the part of the next level? No, actually, I think we've turned that corner. Okay, uh, it's a, it's a very 
timely question, as a matter of fact, because I think we we're beginning to have the residents realize that we do have a wonderful asset here in Salisbury, mm -hmm. and that we've really kind of held it underneath our hat, underneath the shelf for a while. Mm -hmm. Well, let's show this to the world okay. and show them what we're all about and show them what we can do for um, new businesses and present businesses. Mm -hmm. And likewise with the residents as well. I mean, right. we're 30 minutes outside of outside of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. We're on a major interstate. We're on rail. Um, people can take the train to Salisbury. Uh, we're 45 minutes to a major airport. I mean, we're, we're geographically located at an absolutely perfect spot. Mm -hmm. um, and and so uh, it's we've really I think we have turned the corner of the pride within within uh, the community on Vibrant, we need to take it further. Right. Because we're still kind of educating a lot of our community about what a big benefit this is. I don't think everybody's grasped that concept right away, but mm -hmm. you know, that's why we're at conferences like this, is okay. that we're sharing that, that information, but we're also partnering with other cities just like us mm -hmm. so that we can kind of share that well. Okay. Let me, uh, you know, we got we got several of you from the delegation here. Let me, let me ask... Uh, Robert, who's who's here to my uh, right, you gotta move over a little bit, though, Robert. Um, looking at this um, event, and you're seeing people across the spectrum of folks who have broadband, a lot of folks who who haven't. What's your take on, I don't know, the success of broadband at getting people engaged, or maybe it's the success of the broadband industry of getting communities engaged? But from what you're seeing here, uh, you know, have they been successful? Have they made broadband something that a lot of these communities really earnestly strive for? What's what's your take on? Well, I, I'd say maybe, maybe let me uh, spin it back from the other side. The communities I see here are the communities that engage to their citizens and their thought leaders and their business community to say, what will it take for us to thrive in the new millennium? What will it take for us to be productive and give our citizens? access to the global economy, mm -hmm. and from that, the, uh, for, for many communities, not for all, uh, but the, the rational thought process has brought them around to that it is uh, access to, to high-speed internet and broadband and being part of that, uh, that, that global economy uh, via technology. And I, I think that's you know, where Salisbury came to it. It was a, a conversation about how do we uh, continue our community's historic path of being innovators mm -hmm. in, in a brave new world of technology where uh, you can be working with a client on the other side of the world uh, and competing for business uh, uh, anywhere and everywhere. So in general, then, do you feel that the industry has been successful at explaining to people why they should be here? You know, I still think there's a, a big learning curve mm -hmm. uh, for the for the average uh, person recognizing what our global competition looks like. Uh, you know, it was 15 years ago that Seoul, Korea announced their first digital city. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we've talked about it uh, so at times during the Vibrant's uh, uh, early stages, people would say things like, well, why do we need this? Well, well, if it was a good idea a decade ago and it's worked well <laughs> in South Korea, then why not Salisbury, North Carolina here today? Mm -hmm. And so I, I still think that um, uh, people are only now starting to understand the broad base of applications and opportunities that can come to them through having this uh, you know, high-speed internet, uh, low latency, and great accessibility. Uh, and we're really about to turn, I think, that corner uh, as there's more and more communities. And I think here we're going to be talking about linking communities like Salisbury with other gigabyte cities around the country. Uh, 
when we look at what's going to be coming uh, up here in the next just few months and, and years with uh, medical technology, distance learning, uh, innovation and cooperation and collaboration across platforms, uh, I think the average citizen still has a, a little bit of time uh, before they realize all that it can be and all it can mean to mm -hmm. them. But uh, I think more and more people are, are picking up on it, something we wanted to be on the front end of. Okay. Let, let's do a little bit of a sort of a tag team Q&A here for one question. Um, uh, starting with Kent. What would you consider or what would you advise other, you know, your colleagues in other cities? What's the key to success? I mean, you guys have yeah. done a lot. I know this is a broad question, but at least get us one, like, key thing to say. If you do this, you at least up your odds for success. Uh, planning. Um, planning is going to be definitely important and, and, and educating your community on what's happening. Mm -hmm. but, but having a, a specific plan and a route that you're going to be taking and following that plan is going to be very key. Okay. I would yeah I'd say that's that's probably the number one. Okay. By the way, what's your role? Are you with Fibrant? Are you with the city? Or? I'm with the city. I'm my title is director of broadband and infrastructure. Okay, so work that'll work. <laughs> so what's 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 your take, Robert? Um, I, I think that uh, one of my recommendations would be would be to anticipate what you cannot anticipate, to mm -hmm. plan for exponential growth in capacity, and, and to look at your infrastructure, recognizing that uh, today's trend lines and demand for services and capacity uh, will only grow uh, by multiple factors going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is not, big, no matter how big you plan it today, it will not be big enough to five, ten years down the line. Uh, I think the other thing, too, is to truly understand uh, your, your partners. Uh, some communities are partnering with private sector, companies, uh, some are going this route uh, independently, uh, to understand what role and niche and uh, specific place you play of a value-added message to companies and your citizens and what you bring to the table. Uh, even within this broadband initiative, there is no uh, one-size-fits-all model, mm -hmm. and every project is a little bit different, and so you have to be very cognizant of exactly where you're going to fall, between somewhere between a fully a municipal system like we have in Salisbury, which offers great flexibility, but also carries with it the full cost and, and liabilities and administration of that project to someone who partners with a private sector where they won't have that control necessarily, but they also may be limiting their risk uh, uh, go, and maybe limiting their opportunities going forward. Okay. Oh, by the way, what's your role? With the I'm the Economic Development Director for Salisbury and the 10 municipalities of Rowan County. Ah, okay. By the way, um, I, I know... When I had the mayor's on, we talked about this topic, but I always forget. Are you providing services for those communities as well, or is it does Fibrant just serve? At Salisbury? this time, it's just the city of Salisbury. Okay. Is and, that because of the legislation or because of logistics? At, at this point, I'd say, and I won't speak for the city here, but uh, the initial goal was to get Salisbury up and running right. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the potential to expand. However, legislation has made that a little more cumbersome than uh, than it could have been. Right. Okay. Not not a problem. So now one of the issues again, I, you know, I counsel people uh, about success is that you want to promote your first successes in particular, but you always want to have like the constant stream of people seeing what what's you know what's working and so forth. But how do you protect yourself from the sin of Overhyping or you know creating more than what's there. 
I don't think we've had the problem of overhyping. As a okay, matter of fact, I think, they, I think we've had quite the opposite of underhyping. All right. So, and that's that's, but that presents us with a great opportunity to really start, really telling the story that we have here because mm-hmm. we have quite a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And 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 once people begin to understand what it's all about, what it does for them, it's it's going to be just such a game changer. Okay. So, yeah, it, the overhype has not been a problem. Uh-huh. I, I'd agree with Ken completely on that. We've recently gone live with a microsite, America's Gig, americasgig.com. Uh, but what we did is we built our base, we built our customer base, we solidified our system. Uh, we definitely did not overtell it. We, we never overpromised and underdelivered. Mm-hmm. Now we've got the opportunity that we can deliver far more than, than most folks need. Uh, and we just think that it's the right time for us to roll out and roll big. And Kent joined the city just a, uh, a few months ago, and he's brought an entirely uh, impressive perspective of next-stage technology and been on the cutting, the bleeding edge, if you will, uh, <laughs> of the evolution of networks. And so it's, it's a perfect time with city support, with local support, mm-hmm. uh, with our private sector coming together to really push this forward, working with our partners. And I think it's really important, as since we're kind of leading edge, we're, well, we are leading edge in, as far as communities go. And never apologize for that. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly right. But we need to be, make sure that we're aware of, of the latest technologies and how we can, how we can really – really utilize the broadband network that we have. Mm-hmm. So we're going out trying to, 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 to partner with other technology companies and introduce that into our communities and then bring that back to our communities saying, okay, folks, you know, here's some new technologies you may want to be aware of. You've got the broadband infrastructure to work with it. Let's utilize it. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's utilize these, these applications, you know, medical, education, and so on, and, and make sure that we're using it to the fullest extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that's why we're trying to educate our residents then on what the technologies are and how they can go about best using them, making their lives easier, or making their businesses working more efficient, or the like. Mm-hmm. What was the biggest economic development win that you could tie directly back to the network, have you, do you think? Yeah, I think what we'd say we have a company, Integro Technologies, and they are just uh, one of those gazelles in the, in the truest sense of that word, uh, going from just a handful of employees two, three years ago to building a new 30,000 square foot building and outgrowing it uh, you know, within a, the course of two years. And uh, there was a retention. It was a retention project. It's a company that has Fortune 100 clients, uh, nationally, domestic, and international, and, and they were being pushed and pulled to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And but having that ability to serve their clients in California, to serve their clients around the world, actually, uh, from Salisbury, and never give up that uh, uh, competitive advantage based on their location. Mm-hmm. And, and Fibrant was key to that. Okay. Uh, otherwise, we would have seen this company grow right out of this homegrown company grow right out of Salisbury and move on. And, and it's just it's uh, when we when when they bring in their clients. I think the best, the most powerful advertising you can ever do is the unsolicited endorsement uh, of someone on your network. Mm-hmm. And, and when they bring in companies, when they bring in these Fortune 100 firms, when they're walking our downtown and they're learning that uh, we have a gig at their house or we can provide them uh, flexible creativity using our head end, uh, security or, or offsite backups, any of these ideas, uh, they are just blown away to find that here with an incredibly great cost of living and great accessibility that you can serve the world from your back porch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's one of our best stories. Let me ask another uh, economic development question, and we'll we'll, we'll roll back to, to Kent. But, um, of course, now it would help if the question would come back to my brain that has gone away. 
I was I was thinking about um oh drawing drawing folks in how much or how important has economic development become as a criteria let me rephrase I I said that wrong. How much of a factor has broadband, fast broadband become in the uh, when when people are looking at cities to move to, it's becoming for a residential component. It's becoming more and more really of oh absolutely. When you look at the number of people where one uh, one spouse or both are re- working remotely, uh, yes, or okay. people are looking to relocate, mm-hmm. uh, they might be a PhD that comes to to work at our hospital, but that spouse can keep their job in you know um, in Maryland or wherever the case might be because they have that accessibility, or they're able to hit the airport and travel there two or three times. Um, uh, a month. But on the other side, it's uh, when we're talking with small companies, uh, independently owned companies that have a choice of location and quality of life matters to the ownership, it's a differentiator. There's a lot of great communities out there that are 35,000 people. There's a handful that are along an interstate and in good, uh, good place to do business. But when you have something like Vibrant, it sets you apart. It says to the people that, look, this is a company that's leaning forward, that's taking on challenges, that's preparing for the next uh, for the next generation and the generations after that, and, and that's where it helps us stand out. It's how you stand out from your competition, and you get to go from being second or third on a list to first. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've seen what uh, this type of investment is, has mm-hmm. brought to us on economic development. Okay, I'm going to ask a devil's advocate kind of question um, because that's what I do once in a while. No, um, do do folks know what a gigabit is? And do they care? Um, those that can actually utilize Gigabit do know what it's about. Okay. Um, and they do care. Uh, do uh, does, does every single resident of North Salisbury understand that? No. Um, all they know is that they have very fast service and very high quality video services. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what they care about. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they don't require a gig, we're still able to provide them exceedingly fast our, our our slowest offering is typically faster than the fastest offering of a competitor. Mm-hmm. So um, they know it's fast. They know it's good. They know it's up all the time. No complaints. So in the success narrative, right, because there are lots of communities, as they turn on a gigabit service, will then, you know, proclaim that we're now a gigabit city. In your mind... How much of a factor is that in the success narrative? Not to be confused, because obviously at the user level, it may not necessarily be that important because clearly, you know, they're 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 happy that they've got this fast speed. But when you sort of look at it, and as as communities are, we're saying, okay, we're now successful because we have a gig, or we're going to go out and make a big production out of having uh, having a gigabit. You know, in, in sort of this narrative, do you think that's important, or or is it? I think I think uh, the gig, and that's why I think it's in, uh, it's a very powerful statement that when you can have that and 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 show that it's a, you know really something that you do offer. People don't know what a gig connection means to me, but the majority of folks today they know that they got the eight gigabyte phone versus the sixteen gigabyte phone. They know that they have different connection speeds that they pay for. And so when their community is a or a community is a gig community, they know that term in general. They know that it's 
obviously a standard that that place is proud of, and it's something that other people don't have, or it wouldn't be a big deal. So while they might not understand the nuances of the technology, I, I think that people do, on average, the large majority of folks recognize that that is a technologically enhanced community when they're able to say we're a gig community. There's no doubt that this is a place where uh, technology and access to it will not be the limiting factor mm -hmm. uh, in your life or in your business. All right, okay. Interesting. Do you have any thoughts to add to that? Or? Oh, Robert's our wordsmith. So, you know, <laughs> hard to top Robert. Uh, he is the crafter of all things. I like the use of gazelle earlier. Person. <laughs> that was very well so, uh, yeah, I think Robert's pretty much spot on. I mean, mm -hmm. not everybody has to understand what the technology is in the community. That's okay. Um, we're also trying to use this as to attract new talent and and new uh, new companies into into uh, Salisbury. And that's what that's what it's also geared for. Mm -hmm. So that that the to draw attention to those people that are you know, the high flyers and the and the real heavy data users, um, we have a unique situation um, for them, mm -hmm. and, and they can utilize the, the 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 bandwidth that they need, and they can have a great uh, geographical location as well. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the issues, you know, when we talk about success, at a certain point. I, I, I guess we do have to have the money question, but you have sort of this weird situation where a certain amount of the value and the return on investment of these networks is measured in intangibles and uh, warm and fuzzies and the public good, sort of the ultimate warm and fuzzy. But then you also have the financial realities of you know, certain bills have to be paid or certain right. infrastructure won't work. Right. Um, how how do you ensure enough of the the dollars and cents financial success to be able to then talk about and leverage the, the warm and fuzzy right. successes? Uh, well, one of the things that's really difficult to to put your arms around, your hands around, is is how financially does it help the infrastructure within within the community? For example, um, the fiber that goes around to the traffic, the traffic signals, or the the you know, the fiber that goes to building the building, the, the fiber that would be there anyways. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of hard to monetize that and 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 scale the benefits to how that gets grown and how that's that's maintained. Okay. So that's that's one of the benefits is that okay, we're already taking care of or this we're adding on to the fiber that already would have been there in almost every city. Mm -hmm. So we're taking that and expanding it in into the rest of the city. So how do we look at that at at the success of that versus the in addition to the success of, of Fibrant, which um uh which of course we've got you know, the bills to pay, mm -hmm. but we're making those making that happen. Mm -hmm. And we're we're building our our customer base on a daily basis. So it's a matter of getting the growth, keeping the growth going, and then but adding into the economic development mm -hmm. so that we bring in the new the new people as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I'd say something maybe a little different than some other uh, networks out there is uh, Fibrant has aggressively built its base to the point where. Um, we don't rely on warm and fuzzies at this point to justify the financial side of things. The financial performance alone is uh, is making the grade and, and making those payments. Now we want to see that continued growth, uh, and now we want to leverage it for all those other 
uh, intangibles and opportunities and unique things that we can uh, bring around. But the bottom line business case for Fiverr is solid. Uh, in its own right. And I think that's a very impressive thing. And, and so there's, uh, we don't have to get into the secondary, uh, the induced benefits, uh, the raw factual signs of it uh, is very solid after just three and a half, four years of operation. Mm -hmm. Was this a little rough um, getting to this point? Because I remember after I, uh, after I was in Salisbury and I spoke at the event that, that you folks had, uh, the vision uh, sessions for the general public, which actually, by the way, I thought was pretty awesome that that a, that a community would even have this kind of activity. But then there were there were there was some newsletter or whatever that just railed endlessly on the network and the people involved and all this crazy stuff. Um, how much of that stuff becomes a distraction? Because I got to believe that. You know, communities, especially communities that have any kind of legislative restriction, which may not have to be as, as, as intense as it is in North Carolina, but when you have a place like Colorado or Michigan, which have what I consider moderate restrictions, there is an atmosphere that you're going to be harassed as a city, especially the first couple of cities that go forward, right? Um, and they will. The incumbents will make all kinds of claims, and they'll hint at, you know, you're, whatever you're doing is illegal, yada, yada, yada. But how does a community withstand that sort of constant attack at the financial part? Because it seems like what these criticisms are meant to do is to create an uncertainty that a business wouldn't become a subscriber or an institution wouldn't become a subscriber because they're worried about, will this thing go out of business? How do you fight that off? First of all, our, our 30th retreat is coming up in this February. You should come visit us. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, have, we have the retreat every year. It's open to the community. Mm -hmm. And like you, like you said, you've, you've been there. So. And it's awesome. I, I mean, I'm not kidding. I think it's an awesome thing to do. So yeah, this coming February. So, okay. Um, how, how do we do that? Um, we do it by just uh, focusing on what, what our job is, and that is to make sure that the, the network is up mm -hmm. and make sure that we provide a quality service. And we have been, and since the last time you've been there, things have gotten real quiet on that front all of a sudden. It's kind of uh, diggity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you, it detracts if you let it detract. Okay. And if you just stay focused on what your responsibility is, what your job is, making it happen, just making it work, it's amazing how, you know, detractors will go away. Mm -hmm. They will, and they have. So we've we've proven ourselves as being um, up 99.99 you know percent of the time, <laughs> um, and and we can continue to prove that because we've got you know, local crews mm -hmm. and we've got we take the responsibility for the whole network, and we've been able to keep the uptime and keep the quality of service going. So um, there's nothing to argue about really. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we've taken care of that issue. Those okay. issues. And I would say to the audience. Um, and you've probably heard me talk about it before, but um, you know, I would take to heart Kent's comments about you know how you deflect and keep things moving forward because that to me is one of the number one. I think it's a constant. I think everybody, even if your state doesn't have any restrictive laws, you will be under a lot of uh, scrutiny by the press. That'll probably be generated by the incumbents, but there'll be and there'll be criticisms and there'll be people that'll write comments in the articles that are written about your networks when you announce them. They'll talk about the waste. They'll talk about the fear of failure. And I think that Kent's point about 
you know, you got to put that in perspective internally, right? You can't let it become something that distracts the project team, the marketing folks, you know, internal to the company or, or to the to the community. And then you've got to put that face out there that, as as Robert says, you know, you don't let it become the narrative. You let the the, the financial strength and the validation of that speak for itself, but you er- but you encourage the speaking to happen a lot. So, yeah, but yeah. I, I just really think that nothing quiets your critics um, any any more than continued success, mm-hmm. and that and that's what exactly. we've done. This is not an eighteen month project for the city. It's not a five year project for the city, and that uh, we have uh, uh, overcome every challenge and at every turn. Uh, continue to move forward and provide better and better services to more and more people. And, and over time, that story, the, the truth eventually gets out there uh, and it silences those uh, those voices in the wilderness. Okay. All right. So to wrap up, we got about a minute and a half or so, uh, 30 seconds each. One piece of advice for your colleagues here at the summit and in Radio Land, key to success going forward, what do you see it as being? Uh, partnerships, partnerships and planning, um, partnerships with other gig cities, mm-hmm. um, learning from where where they, the the path that they have taken, uh, follow, uh, look at where that path has gone and learn from the uh, great opportunities and and some of the where there was um, uh, issues you know that we had to, st- to stumble through. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can learn a lot from from cities like ourselves. And we're willing to partner with people uh, to to help them grow and and expand. It's it's only in our best interest that we have other gig cities mm-hmm. so that we can connect to each other. Okay. So we want to help that happen. All right, success, key to success. Thirty seconds, go. Uh, I, I would just say, uh, reiterating what Ken said, plan, measure twice, cut once. Uh, have a very realistic uh, expectation of what's out there and know the marketplace. Uh, spend your time, do your due diligence, ask other communities. They will be happy to share uh, where things went better than expected and, and the times when they didn't. Uh, and be honest with yourself. Be honest with your capacity. Uh, be honest with what it will mean. It's a long commitment that will uh, take many, many years uh, to fully come to fruition and, and be patient with that. And recognize if it's not the right decision uh, or the right relationship that you may have to rethink that. We, we, it's a laudable goal but it's not the right thing for everyone, or at least at, at every moment. Okay. And I would probably add to that, find yourself a good wordsmith, because I'm good <laughs> at smithing words. Robert here is pretty impressive. I got I to give it up for Robert. And I want to thank you for our audience for listening in today. This has been a well-spent and a half, and I want to invite you to you know come back, keep listening to the show, and have a great day. Good luck with your projects. Let's rock and roll in broadband. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.